What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 145 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer the question first. Not answer the question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Beard, beard, beard. about beards, about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardvegans.com. You can always reach us by emailing thebeardvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, do some follow-up, go over the news, and then dive into our main discussion, why tone policing needs to die in a goddamn dumpster fire. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't sure if you would want to read that, Paul, but uh, I just put it there and you went for it. So (laughs) You type it and I read it, Andy. (laughs) I feel like more than anything I've been really fired up about in a while, I am very fired up about what we're going to be talking about today, so... I'm excited to talk to you about it then. We have we have so much to talk about today and we're going to try our best to get to it, but first before we do that, we have a couple of announcements to make. The first announcement is that Paul, we mm-hmm. finally have t-shirts for sale. We do. We've been teasing this for a while and we've actually had them for a while available at Live Veg Fest, but now they're finally on the internet. And they say, don't be a jerk on the front. Have our logo on the back. If you want to pick up one of those, you can just find the link to the store by going to thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo. And that'll have a link for our Patreon and the PayPal and now the web store if you just want to buy a shirt or a sticker that also says don't be a jerk. And on that related note, since we now actually have things people can buy, we have added additional perks to the various tiers on our patreon so if you pledge at the five dollar level you get 10 percent off any merch you buy and so on and so forth uh you can check all those details out by going to that thebeardvegans.com slash beardo as well so just a little way for us to say thank you again for for supporting us we'll talk a little bit more about the patreon later in the show what's this little plug you got here next andy paul you, <laughs> you know we we got it, I'm a little disappointed in this plug because I wish I could plug it for both our podcast and for my clothing line, Compassion Mm -hmm. Company. But the Veg News Veggie Awards just released their 2018 voting. And in the last couple of years, they added a best vegan podcast category. We were always in there. We always lost, but it was always (laughs) nice to be nominated. And I went to go vote. I, you know, I got an email from them saying that Compassion Company is listed for best online store or nominated for best online store. And and I was going through and I finished voting and I said, oh, there's no best vegan podcast category anymore. What are they? What are they giving short shrift to the podcast now? So I feel like we can just count this year as a win. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> they probably just knew that we were going to sweep it and they were like, we don't want to make the other podcast feel bad. So we'll just yeah. omit it. <laughs> that's, I think that that's pretty likely that that's actually what happened. But yes, my, my clothing line compassion company has been uh, nominated for a veg news veggie award. So I'm going to give myself the old bearded vegans bump right now. And we'll put a link to vote in the show notes 
I'm sure you can find it by just Googling it as well. But if you want to give me a vote in the best online category, best online store, I'd appreciate it. So, Andy, you recently did a panel, not for the Beard Vegans, but you did a panel at VegFest Colorado. And I just want to say this was like, I'm so glad that you recorded this because it was a super important panel. And I just want to say, Andy, I am so incredibly proud of you for doing this. And like, I've been bumping this all over my my different social medias because I truly believe that this is something that everyone should listen to and i'm glad that we are putting it up as well so that people can listen to it do you want to give a little bit more info about this yeah i just wanted to give this just sort of a little additional bump because i did record it it's a live recording but it did get put into our our main podcast feed normally we're kind of putting the bonus stuff over at the patreon but didn't want to hide this one behind any sort of paywall and i don't know i just i wanted to give it a little extra plug because we've gotten so much great feedback off of it uh, I think more than anything else that I've done in a very long time, this one seems to really have resonated with a lot of people. So I just want to say, if you have not given that a listen yet, I would say go give it a listen. It's just one episode back in your your podcast feed there. And I don't know, I'm just so proud of Ginny and JL, who were my my fellow panelists on that one. And we just the response we've been getting has been amazing. So uh, definitely hoping to bring that panel to more VegFest in the future. And on that note, next weekend, August 18th and 19th, I'm going to be at the Triangle Veg Fest. I'll be, of course, hawking my, my T-shirt wares, but I will also be speaking with JL bright and early at 10 a.m. on August 18th, which is their speaker day, which I really love this format that some Veg Fests are adopting, which is they have a day with speakers and maybe a few vendors, and then the next day they have the big vendor day with a few speakers. And I think that that's really cool because it gives people more of a chance to pay attention to the panel panels and the speakers and absorb that information and not feel like they have to choose between jumping in the donut line or going (laughs) to see the first speaker of the day or something like that. So would love to see some Beardos come out for that one. Yeah. So go, go back and listen to that, that VegFest Colorado recording that Andy was a part of. It's, it's incredible and important. Bump it, share it, do, do the thing, do the internet thing. (laughs) Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you for bringing it up. You're welcome. All right. It's food time. It's food time. Andy, what have you been eating? Well, Paul, it feels like it's been so long since we've actually recorded together. It has been. It has been. I know we've been releasing weekly, but we recorded some in advance, and one was the live from Atlantic City. And uh, in that time, uh, obviously, because I recorded a panel there, but I did go to Denver and I got to retrace a lot of your steps, and people <laughs> people may remember that we recorded a a bonus food episode where you got to talk all about the food that you were eating in Denver, and I offered my opinion <laughs> on the food that you mm-hmm. were eating. And I think that if we find the time to do this, we're going to record another bonus food episode where I'll talk about all the things that I did get to eat in Denver because I ate at a couple different places. I had some different experiences than you did at some of the places that you liked and disliked. Mm -hmm. But if I had to pick out one place that I had never been to before and I was really stoked on afterwards, it was this restaurant slash bar called Linger. And this was recommended to me by some some wonderful beardos that I had dinner with, uh, Josh and Brittany. And Linger is a restaurant that is located in a former mortuary. Interesting. Go on. 
And I was like, this name, it's so good. It's such a like a, a classy reference to the afterlife or, or what have you. And it turns out the mortuary was actually called like Olinger or Olinger or something like some however you pronounce it. And they just chopped that O off there. But the 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 giant sign for that mortuary is still on top of the building. They have a rooftop bar and all that stuff. And I'm a fan of a, a well-conceived and executed theme restaurant. Mm-hmm. And they they serve your water in the former. I'm assuming former. Maybe they purchased them new formaldehyde jars, like those <laughs> those brown jars. And some of the tables are actually on the like I don't know what the word is for them, but the rollers that the cadavers, you know, and like the the refrigerator. Is that you know what I'm talking like a, about? Like a gurney or something like that? It's like a gurney, but it's not a gurney. You know, it's the thing that when they, in in the mortuary, there's the wall with all the little doors where they mm-hmm. put the bodies in them and they pull the body out. And whatever's on the tray that the body is sitting on, underneath that is some rollers that allow them to roll the body. <laughs> they take those and they use those as the base for some of their tables. And nice. I don't know. I just... So, so, so into that. Yeah, that sounds perfect for you. Yeah, I, and it's it's funny because the whole place is, it's not like it's like dark and spooky and really like beating you over the head with this theme, but it's just there and they kind of do it in a really classy way. Their menu is sort of all over the place. They sort of group it by different uh, locations around the world. I went during happy hour, so the, the menu was a bit limited, but I got some bao buns that were amazing. But the the true star of the show, Paul, was perhaps the most well done, and I mean that in terms of quality, not in terms of cooking time, Impossible <laughs> Burger that I've ever had. Ooh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, it was it was in the form of a Persian slider, which had hummus, Israeli salad, and avocado on it. And uh, those aren't toppings that I would normally really be excited about to go on a burger, but it all just worked together so well. They seasoned the Impossible Burger super well, so... I would love to go back and try more of their menu, but that is Linger in <laughs> Denver, and yeah, I don't know. They had a bunch of vegan options on the menu, which I thought was really cool. So I'm a fan of Denver. I continue to be a fan of Denver, and hopefully we'll be getting another Denver bonus food episode up for those that are not sick of us talking about food in Denver. <laughs> but beautiful. Yes, and so the last thing I'll say about Denver is... That at the VegFest got to meet so many amazing beardos. So, of course, going to give a huge shout out to JL Fields, my fellow panelists. Hi, JL. Bill, <laughs> Jennifer, Stephen and Megan, Chris, Jenny, Luke, Aaron, Josh, Brittany, Aaron, Liz, and Jordan, a.k.a. Dr. Jalapeno. Jealous that you, jealous that you, that you met Doctor Jalapeno. <laughs> I know. So, uh, so Doctor Jalapeno is an anagram of Jordan's name. Oh, that's so and funny. And Jordan said that they were looking for an anagram for the Beard Vegans, but have not found anything interesting enough yet. So if anyone wants to come up with one. I don't know if it'll be as good as Dr. Jalapeno, though. I know. Nothing is as good as Dr. Jalapeno. All right, Paul. (laughs) Yes. What went in that beautiful mouth of yours this week? So as you may or may not know, I recently moved to Delaware to start attending the University of Delaware. And I was disappointed to be leaving Philadelphia, which is like a, like a, a vegan haven there's so many vegan stuff there's so many shops that sell vegan stuff so i I haven't found like as obviously i haven't found as much of a variety in delaware but right across the street from where i'm staying is this grocery store this food co-op newark natural foods co-op and 
someone it's like I've heard in the past someone was like oh it's, it has a lot of cool vegan stuff and I was like cool hopefully it does I go there Andy it has like every vegan product that has ever existed like I can get every Miyoko's brand I could get every like mock vegan meat that I could ever want and in addition <laughs> to like all the, the like the normal ones that you would find that you could find at a grocery store in the back in like their deli section they have a whole case that's all the herbivorous butcher stuff like a Ooh. ton probably five or six different types of meats five or six different different types of cheeses they have yeah dog they have vegan treat stuff there it's like this place is like the place to be for my specialty vegan stuff and then in addition to all that behind their little deli counter thing they make some of their own foods too and they make they had like a barbecue tofu and they had a, like a, a deep fried tofu and it was it's great. I haven't tried all of their stuff yet and but it it's it's cool. It's it's really cool. It's a little bit on the pricey side, I will admit, but I got to become a, a a a member of the co-op and then I'll get a little bit of a discount. But no, it was great. I was stoked to find this. It sounds like it was custom made for you, Paul. I know, seriously. And then Andy, you reminded me because you met so many beardos that I had a couple weeks ago now, I was at the Skyland Animal Sanctuary, the Jimmy Jam, which I'm I'm excited that I get to say that name one more time. And <laughs> Jimmy Jam. I met a couple beardos myself. I met Tom, Juliet, Megan, Crystal, who was gracious enough to bring me a yeah dog. I was I was not able to really leave the booth very, very much, so very grateful to have that. Uh, Haley squared. There was two Haley's that came up to me at the same time and gave me a what's up beardo at the same time. And then <laughs> Heather. So it was very great to meet all of you. Uh, thank you for coming up and saying hello. And what's up beardo still don't have a non awkward response to someone saying what's up beardo, but I'll get there. <laughs> I feel like the fact that we've acknowledged that we don't have a good response all of a sudden makes it okay. I guess I'd, st- I'd still like to not feel awkward every time it happens though. <laughs> Well, all right. Let's let's move on into the follow-up section. First things first, from the corrections department. Paul, we just did that discussion about the ads in Toronto, the the ones that were actually put out by by PETA. Mm-hmm. Our good buddies at PETA. And we were sort of <laughs> discussing their efficacy and their messaging. And something that we kept saying was that they didn't say go vegan on them. And that was a, sort of a point of our discussion. And I don't know why we said that, because they clearly do. And so we got an email from Giselle in Toronto who said... Just a correction regarding the Toronto PETA ads. The ads do tell people to go vegan. I've seen them in person, and I think they are great. It's one PETA campaign I can actually get behind. (laughs) (laughs) And Giselle also sent us some pictures of these posters. And, yeah, we were totally wrong on that. So consider that uh, an important note from the corrections department. All right. And what else do we got? Oh, Paul. I feel like I could have just set a timer for six months and just known that I was going to have to discuss this story. So this is coming to us from nonprofitchronicles.com, and it's titled The Return of Wayne Pacelli. So this is, yeah, I know. So this is a follow-up to the episode that we did with Vegan Warrior Princess's Attack, where we were all talking about the, the developments of the Me Too movement within the animal rights movement and hashtag Times Up AR and... Of course, one of the the biggest stories, one of the biggest sort of flashpoints for that discussion was the fact that Wayne Pacelli, who was the CEO of HSUS, had all sorts of allegations against him and he stepped down and, and all the, the fallout from that. So let me 
read from this article. Less than six months after stepping down as CEO of the Humane Society of the United States, Wayne Pacelli is returning to the animal welfare movement, this time as part of a political action committee called Animal Wellness Action. What Pacelli will do at the PAC could not be determined. Efforts to reach David and Annie Harvillages, sorry, David and Annie, who are sort of the founders and the people that registered this PAC, and Marty Irby via email, text, and Twitter provided fruitless. The Humane Society, in a memo to its staff, said it had confirmed Pacelli's involvement with Animal Wellness Action, and and essentially it was sort of implied that they may have to work together, that they're all kind of working on similar fights, and it's likely that this pack would work with HSUS. So mm. uh, the article goes on to say, in talking points distributed to the staff, HSUS said it would decide on a case-by-case basis whether to work with Pacelli. By email, Anna West, an HSUS spokeswoman, added, we will never require any individual staff members to work with Mr. Pacelli or his new organization. Well, that sucks. Yeah. It feels like it's the alleged abuser's handbook, which is essentially just say, like, don't admit to anything, wait for six months, and then you're in the clear and you can go and do whatever you want again. Yeah. And this is like almost six months to the day, I feel like, from that episode that we put out or from yeah. when he stepped down. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's really disappointing. It's, of course, really disappointing to see HSUS willing to work with him as well. And just just imagine how it would feel to be someone that he abused or, or victimized that may be still working at HSUS and finding this out, finding out that your bosses are willing to work with your abuser alleged abuser i guess i should say and i don't know it just it feels it's just shitty it's just straight up shitty unfortunately i i feel like it didn't surprise me too much though because i remember when all this was going down a lot of the the higher ups left hsus when they refused to kind of dismiss him at, at first so i almost feel like a lot of the people that would have been against this left already, and then it kind of just leaves a lot of the people that didn't care as much if he was there or not. So, or it either didn't care or like were in support of him. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a good point. Uh, I saw someone posting about this, and another person essentially said what he did sucks. I don't agree with it, but he is a powerful advocate for animals. And if he's not going to admit to what he did, like basically any powerful man in his position would not because it opens them up to all sorts of legal possibilities and obviously bruised ego and, and all that whatnot, that if they're not willing to admit to it, wouldn't we rather that they're still using their talents to help animals? Isn't it better that they're helping animals than not, even if they haven't? sort of corrected what they've done, apologized or atoned for what they've done or, or tried to make amends in, in whatever way would be appropriate given the situation. I'm curious, what do you think about that? I don't I, I don't fully understand that logic, I guess, because it's like, of course someone's not going to... If, if someone knows that they're going to either completely get away with something or get away in terms of any any sort of legal repercussions, like not have any sort of that stuff hit them... Like, why would they admit to it? And and so therefore, it's like with that logic, most people that that have most certainly committed something like this 
would then continue to work in these in these sorts of areas. Like I don't really I don't really get the the logic behind that kind of statement because what what difference does it make then if that's your if that's your logic you you're saying like well maybe he did do this maybe he didn't but at least he's doing something for the animals like i feel like if you only would say i'm not going to work with him if if he admits that he's going to do this i i feel like that's kind of denying the the like the the victims that that came forward and said these things De- denying is the wrong word but i guess sort of either not believing or not taking what they said with it, not ha- putting any weight behind their views or, or their words and only putting the weight behind what he has to say. Like, oh, well, he didn't admit to it, so at least he's still doing it. It shouldn't make a difference whether he admits to it or not, I feel like. Well, I think that this sentiment is that I've seen expressed by many people is uh, along the lines of he probably did do it, but regardless of that isn't it better that he is working to help animals than not regardless of if he apologizes or make amends for what he did i feel like i i i I get what you're saying but i feel like that's different than this question that you asked me which specifically says if he won't admit fault isn't it good that he's working for animals it like if the first thing then the second thing you know okay ignore (laughs) Andy, I feel like I, you're willfully trying not to respond to my question, no, Paul. No, I'm here. I, I'm going to be completely upfront with you, Andy. I've been doing a lot of I've been doing a lot of math recently, and there's literally <laughs> there's literally a thing in like logic that's like if p then q. It's like if the first thing then the second thing. So I'm reading this as literally like if the first thing is true, if he won't admit fault, then the second thing isn't it good that he's working for animals? So I was taking it like very literally, but. I do – let me answer, like, what – the second thing that she said, which is, like, isn't it – regardless of whether or not he did it, isn't it good that, that he's still working for animals? I, I think my response to to whenever there's something similar to this that happens is that, like, no no one person is going to be the, the, the savior of the animals. No one person is going to create a vegan world. I, like, I don't foresee that happening. So, therefore, it's like I would rather – only have people working toward this that are at the very least not going to be detrimental in other in in other social justice areas like i feel like it's not that much to ask that vegan advocates not do shitty things i think i thought it was not too much to ask andy i feel like our main discussion uh begs to differ about that but like at the very least you know like i wouldn't want people especially prominent figures to be doing shitty things for other social justice movements at the very least but like i would rather have you know us all working in conjunction or like working with these other movements while we're also promoting veganism you know so it's like i i does that answer your question (laughs) yeah more or less i mean i guess sort of my opinion is along the lines of yours, which is that, you know, Wayne Pacelli is not doing something that someone else could not do. And, and I don't know, maybe even if that was the case, we should still cast him out, I guess. But it, it feels like there's enough people that can do whatever it is that he does. Like, I, OK, yes, I'm sure he has plenty of connections because he spent a long time at the top of HSUS. And certainly lobbying is all about connections. I, I will not deny that. But I don't think that it means that there isn't someone else that could get those connections and have that impact. And it just, I think that 
that probably the the negative impact of this of the fact that it's basically saying to a lot of people that your your suffering doesn't matter the things that he has put you through or people like him that have done similar things to other people have put you through doesn't matter and that those people will be driven out of the movement a lot of really great amazing dedicated advocates will be driven away from the movement and that's probably for the for the utilitarian crowd i'm assuming that that would be a net negative as well so it just feels like the, he's not doing something that could not be done by somebody else there's no reason that we need to excuse what he has done like i, I don't know if there's anyone uh, maybe there is but i don't think there's anyone that's like no he should never be able to speak up on behalf of animals ever again but he shouldn't be allowed to bypass the accountability process in order to speak up for animals. And I, and I think that by dismissing those concerns, it's probably doing a lot more harm to our movement than good. And I also feel like, I, I, I think this is like you are touching upon this as well, but I feel like the damage is, it extends beyond just him as an individual, you know, it's like, because he's such a prominent person, he's going to have an impact on the climate of those around him, of the organizations that he's working with, of like, he will affect the atmosphere. So if like the, if the atmosphere is, oh, well, this person is allowed to do these things because of his position, then other people are going to feel confident and comfortable doing those same terrible things. So it's like, or even not people in his position, just like any man in the, in, in the vegan movement is then going to feel comfortable doing these sorts of things because they can say, Oh, well, if this person at the top is doing this, then like I should be able to do this too. You know? So I feel like it, it, it even extends beyond just saying like, Oh, him, him as an individual affected these specific people. I feel like it's, it, it's more so even maybe even more damaging. It, it, it impacts people in ways that we would never be able to f- literally like find the exact people that say like, oh, because of him, I did this. But maybe subconsciously or, or maybe again, him combined with all these other people that are doing this thing. It's just creating this atmosphere where this is acceptable. Yeah, I think it, it certainly would send a message to other folks that would, you know, abuse people in the manner that he may have. And essentially saying, well, if I get enough clout within this scene, I can get away with anything. And OK, yeah, maybe if it gets really bad, enough people come forward, I'll get essentially a slap on the wrist and some kind of, you know, a six month vacation before I can get back in the ring. But yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Like the the implications that it has for the movement you know, they would be bad enough if it was just about the individual people that he did affect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Obviously, like that that alone is enough to to feel like he should not have a place in this movement again, at at the very least until he atones for what he did and, and makes amends and, and goes through an accountability process. But the fact that it it is just sort of would send this ripple throughout the entire community and send a certain message to people that would be pleased to learn they can get away with a lot if they get high enough in the the food chain and the movement yeah that's um that's bad yeah i certainly and and i I hope andy that my comments didn't come across as downplaying the effect that he had on like the actual people that were directly impacted too like i wasn't trying to downplay that that's not the not the impression that i got so you good you good 
So, yeah, and I guess the other the only other follow-up I will add from that discussion, um, also sort of hitting the six-month mark, another one of the big names that we were talking about was Paul Shapiro, who laid low for a while and just announced that he has a new podcast called The Business for Good. So, yeah, I guess that's just sort of the thing. People just learn they have to lay low, and then there's no real repercussions after that, and I think it's pretty disappointing. Do you th- not to sound like conspiracy theoryish, Andy? But if both of these things happened at like around the same time, it it does seem almost like there's this weird unspoken or maybe spoken thing where it's like six months, like just give it six months, and like then you could literally do whatever you want after that. I mean, I've been around long enough that it, it's a, I, I would say it's a recognizable pattern to the point where it does feel like there's some little, you know, like 10 page stapled zine that gets handed out to people that are have been accused of this shit, you know. But, yeah, it, it seems like it's a pretty recognizable pattern. That sucks. Yeah. But but I'd like, you know, Andy, I'll, I'll say this. I didn't I didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't know that that zine existed. But like I. I'm I'm glad that you've pointed that out to me because now it's like something that I am can be aware of. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, let's move on to the news. What you got for me? So, Andy, this is I'm I'm excited to talk about this. I'm not excited about the 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 situation really, but I think that this is an interesting development. I pulled from a couple different articles. This first one, Washington Post, Smithfield loses lawsuit over North Carolina hog farms. And this is from August 3rd. A federal jury decided Friday that the world's largest pork producer should pay $473.5 million to neighbors of three North Carolina industrial scale hog farms for unreasonable nuisances from odors, flies, and rumbling trucks. The jury found that Smithfield Foods owes compensation to 16 neighbors who complained in their lawsuit that the company failed to stop the, quote, obnoxious recurrent odors and other causes of nuisance resulting from closely packed hogs, which generate many times more sewage than entire towns. The jury awarded $23.5 million in compensatory damages and $450 million in punitive damages, which will be reduced under a state law that limits punitive damages. The Pender County Farms holds thousands of hogs owned by a Smithfield subsidiary. Lawyers for the neighbors said Smithfield hasn't taken measures to minimize the nuisances. I feel like nuisances really downplays (laughs) what it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was trying to, like... I was looking at a few different articles about this, trying to get like, because different articles definitely had different tones about how they talked about this and whether or not it seemed like that specific news article thought that it was like a good thing or a bad thing. But those, a lot of them use the word nuisance and nuisances. And I feel like mostly because some of those direct quotes from the lawsuit used the that word, but you're absolutely right, Andy. I feel like it's like, and and it, it's this situation that we've seen in some of these documentaries that we've watched where it's like people are getting sick and and like seriously sick because of these. And then there was the story about the, the, the proximity of that school that was really close to one of the farms. So it's like I'm glad that this is getting attention brought to it because it really is some some terrible stuff. And so, yeah, so I'm. I I does I hesitate to say I'm glad that they that this is happening just because it's like they deserve the compensation. 
However, let me read a little bit from this other article real quick from Huffington Post about the same the, the, the same situation, but they provided a little extra information. They said the case comes after two previous related lawsuits rocked agribusiness in the country's number two pork producing state. Juries in those two cases awarded damages of about $75 million intended to punish Smithfield, though those amounts were also required to be cut. North Carolina legislators reacted by adopting new barriers against nuisance lawsuits that all but eliminate the ability of neighbors to sue Smithfield Foods or any other agribusiness. Critics build the legislation as an attack on private property rights in order to protect a well-heeled industry. U.S. Senator Tom Tillis and U.S. Representative David Rouser suggested they might seek national legislation after hearing Friday from agribusiness executives and agriculture officials from North Carolina, Georgia, Delaware, and Texas in Raleigh. Today's nuisance lawsuits that are destroying livelihoods and communities in North Carolina are the tip of the iceberg for what is to come absent a well-informed public and good public policy, Rouser said in a prepared statement Thursday. This is a very slippery slope that threatens the very existence of every form of agriculture worldwide. Andy, the the gall of this person <laughs> to say that it's destroying the livelihoods and communities in North Carolina, it's like... Yes, you're right. That is exactly what's what's happening is that the livelihoods and communities are being like getting literally sick from from the the proximity to these. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the it's destroying the livelihoods and communities of in relation to the the farm itself as if the farm was synonymous with livelihoods and communities. Yeah, as as you were reading that quote, I was thinking, wait, who who is saying this? Because it felt so twisted. Yeah, it, it's it, it's this second article. It's just like it makes me feel so scared for what's going to happen. Like they're pursuing national legislation to make it so that this cannot happen. And I, like at least at the very least. They were they're being transparent in the fact that it literally says like, oh, yeah, they, they decided to pursue this this route after they met with the, the executives of Smithfield Foods. It's like at least they're being clear that they're like, oh, yeah, these people are giving us a lot of money. So I guess we're going to pursue this legislation and then we're going to try to make up something about how this is good for the public. Yeah, it's it's like it's saying that it's. In order for business to be good, they have to be able to walk all over anyone that is negatively impacted and the, the negative externalities of their business. So, oh man, this is so messed up. I know. And and I guess, like, I, Andy, possibly related to our later discussion, but I feel like it falls under this category of, like, oh, you're not allowed to criticize anything or you're not allowed to pursue ramifications for something that is affecting you negatively, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a great tie-in, Paul. <laughs> Thank you. It's, I, I feel like it ties in on a very, very vague and general level, but ties in nonetheless. Yeah, well, you know, I love a good tie-in. <laughs> All right, so we'll leave that there. And before we move on into our main discussion, we got, Paul, we, got, we have a lot of people to thank. So much so that I'm going to push a few of them into next week's episode because already, I mean, 
for fans of us reading other people's names, this is the episode for people because so many beers <laughs> in the beginning. But we have a bunch of new Patreon donors, a bunch of new Patreon beardos. So these are all people that are supporting the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. And in return, getting access to our Patreon feed where we post bonus episodes and so people get early access and merch and all that good stuff. Talk about that in a second. But first, huge thank you to Nick H. Coley L. Wyatt H. Madeira N. Cassandra M. Jamie K. Friend of the show, Jamie K. Rachel P. Arlen. And Chris R. Thank you so much for donating. Yeah, thank you. It's it's I don't know I don't know what it is, but people are, are really starting to tune into that Patreon there, which is really cool because we actually now are starting to have a, a pretty nice back catalog of bonus episodes. I did a I did a quick count last night, Paul. There's now seven like full actual episodes and three smaller food type bonus mini episodes up there. So a lot of content. We just hit a milestone. We hit our second goal on Patreon, and upon hitting that goal, it means that we're able to transcribe two episodes per month, making us more accessible to the deaf and hard of hearing. And we decided once we hit that milestone, we were going to record two bonus episodes for the month of whatever we hit that goal. So that's the month of August. Normally, we just put out one bonus episode, guaranteed one bonus episode, sometimes more for fun, especially the shorter ones. And so... For the second one, we decided we would do something entirely different than what we normally do, which is oftentimes a lot of these film reviews and vegan TV show review type episodes. And we decided to do one called How to Start a Podcast because we've been getting... A decent amount of questions. I know I get a lot in person where people are asking a lot about the logistics of recording a podcast and how do we do it. You know, I'm zip zip zapping. <laughs> sure. I'm zip zapping <laughs> all over the country and I'm in my van. I'm actually in my van right now and it is so hot and sweaty and pretty miserable. And Paul, I see you sitting in your apartment, but I know you've had to turn off your AC. So I don't know. People ask us a lot of technical questions and we figured it'd be fun to just sort of put together a podcast, but. I think that if it was just us listing a bunch of this is the type of microphone and this is the computer and, you know, I, all that stuff's boring. I think there's there's a ton of that online already. If you just Google how to start a podcast, you'll find a million people telling you this is equipment. This is how you edit all that stuff. So so we took a little bit of a different focus with it and we use it as an opportunity to basically talk about the formation of the podcast, how it's evolved, lessons we've learned. We do talk about some of the technical stuff. But for the most part, it's just more like an exploration of the history of the podcast and what our general philosophy of what sort of place in people's lives podcasts can hold, what kind of activism they can do. And, Paul, I have to say this is actually one of the, the most fun episodes we've done because it's just kind of us reminiscing. Yeah, it was. it's very like... It's very conversational. It was it was just nice. We didn't have to, you know, strain our brains and have these difficult conversations. So I feel like people that just enjoy hearing us talk to each other are very much going to enjoy this one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I don't know. It was a lot of fun. That's up right now in the Patreon. So if you want to get access to that, just head over to thebeardvegans.com slash beardo and hit that Patreon link. And you can sign up at whatever rate that you choose to do. You'll get a shout-out on the podcast and a whole bunch of bonus episodes. 
in in that episode too, I feel like there's a few pieces of of some pretty deep bearded vegans trivia as well. There, there is all will be revealed, Paul. There is a one piece of information that makes me so happy that I'm sure absolutely no one knew any anything about. Some mm-hmm. people, maybe some people picked up on this little little signature that each of us put into every episode but they probably had no idea that that's what it actually was or signified yeah so yeah if you want some some deep nerd trivia about the podcast (laughs) (laughs) it's the episode for you so yeah it was a lot of fun all right andy with that let's move on into this main discussion yeah paul this thing that we're about to talk about was originally just going to be a news item in which we expressed our support for a thing that happened, a thing that someone did. And then we actually were all set to record the other night. And because I record for my van, it's very dependent on finding a quiet place. And it was pouring rain where I was, and I was unable to find a quiet place. We had to push off the recording. And in the two days between that happening and us recording, this little thing that was just going to be like a little little extra, oh, look at this cool thing that, that happened, has turned into a raging dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. And it it just has my blood boiling and figured it would be a good opportunity to talk about tone policing and why that's bad. And I think I think especially, Paul, this is this is sort of us talking to a lot of other men out there, our, our fellow men listeners, because I think that that is really who this message is specifically directed towards. So mm-hmm. with with that vague intro, let's get into it. So, Paul, we we went up to Toronto last year, and you did not get to go here, but I got to try this really awesome vegan pizza spot called Apocalypse Now, and they are a beloved institution in the city of Toronto and run by Jen Bundock. Um, apologies if that's not how your last name's pronounced, who is just uh, sort of an amazing activist. We've actually talked about a video of Jen's called The Hidden Cost of Patriarchy at least a few times on this show, or at least given sort of a, a reference and a nod to it. So Jen found herself at the, the center of a lot of controversy lately. So I'm going to read a little bit from an article from nowtoronto.com. Anti-choice protesters carrying graphic signage and stuffing mailboxes with leaflets containing disturbing images have become an increasing presence on Toronto streets in recent weeks. So much so that city councillors have put forth a motion looking at the possibility of banning groups from displaying these images in public. A more direct approach was taken by Apocalypse Now owner Jen Bundock when a group of protesters bearing images of dismembered fetuses set up shop next to the vegan pizzeria's Christy Pitts location. She confronted them, live-streaming the exchange to her Instagram account. And I actually follow Jen and saw this well before it sort of took off, and we, I don't know if we're going to be able to grab the audio from it, but essentially, yeah, she approaches these protesters, and I don't know how to describe it, in a very sort of loud and aggressive manner, is asking them, like, do you have free condoms? Do you support the existing sex education curriculum? All of these things, and basically sort of making it known that 
if you're going to be in front of my store, you are going to be met with sort of my full wrath, essentially. And this causes the protesters to move across the street. And then she goes over there and says the amazing line, you may remember me from such places as across the fucking street. (laughs) Um, and, And so that's sort of, that's the exchange. Like, you know, Jen essentially saying this shit is not welcome in front of my store or anywhere. And I know that you've been trained to act you know, peacefully and have these calm, rational discussions. And, and these, this is not an issue that I'm not trying to have that discussion. I'm trying to get you to get the fuck off my block essentially. And so this video got shared far and wide and was met with um, a divisive reaction. I guess you could say, I will say the, the really positive side of this is that a lot of people gave a ton of support to Apocalypse Now and to Jen. And in fact, apparently a lot of donations were made to, made to Planned Parenthood in her name. And apparently there's been a line out the door basically since this started to get a lot of notifications. I've heard that from a few different friends that live in Toronto. And I actually think that that is something that's really interesting to point out, that this was essentially, this wasn't trying to tie in veganism or anything like that it was just someone taking action on this one specific thing and because of that like showing that support garnered a lot of people to go and try this vegan food that would not have tried it otherwise which i think is just sort of like an interesting little little side effect there that is is worth noting so i was just going to put this in the news paul and i was going to say this happened and and we unconditionally support what happened and and just sort of talk about what the positive side effect of that was when you show solidarity with other people yeah i i also think another positive result was that literally by the end of the video the people like left you know like they were because one of her points was she was like I, it, like if I can see you, I like I'm going to make sure that you leave. And so she does follow them across the street <laughs> yeah. like a couple times, and then they they presumably left after that. So it's like for people being like, oh well, I don't know if this is like a effective thing. It's like well, they were not there anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I mean, Jed certainly accomplished her goals there. So yeah, like I said, this was just gonna be a thing where like, hey, this happened, and 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 you know, we're here to express our support and that was going to be it. And then people, people had opinions on this. And I think that Paul, we're, we're going to have a discussion about the way one particular person has reacted to this. And I know you and I, we always struggle, like, should we name names? Shouldn't we name names? And I think that in this case, we're, we're not going to name the name because I, I don't want this conversation to be like, Oh, look at how this one specific person reacted to this, uh, even though that's sort of our framework. But it's really going to be more of like an entrance into talking about sort of the general idea of tone policing, the general idea of, I, I guess, respectability politics. And by by naming the name, it makes it all just about this one person. And we would rather sort of talk about like th- these concepts in general but we will be talking about many of the specific words that this one person did say. So, and I imagine that we'll be getting into the idea of hero worship in the vegan movement as well. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure if, if people really want to figure out who this is, I'm sure people can put on their detective hats <laughs> and figure it out. But we're not. We're not. That's not what this episode is about. So uh, this video was shared, 
And this person, who I will say is a part of a social media entity that has 1.3 million followers, this person himself on his individual page has 25,000 followers. And just this this person commented on someone else sharing this video. Someone shared this video and was like, look how cool this is. Like, look at how this person shut down these protesters. Actually, you know what? Paul, I got to say something. I feel like the language of protesters is misleading in this instance. Calling the anti-choice people protesters? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's important to give like the proper gravity to what it is that these people are trying to accomplish. I'm, I'd imagine most of our listeners have seen these these anti-choice activists out there with signs. Some, I, I mean... I don't know. I see them randomly all over the place, especially when I was doing outreach on college campuses. That seemed like that was a favorite place of theirs. But what they do is they carry these very large, like I want to say like four by six foot posters that show dismembered fetuses and really gory and disturbing imagery. And there was, from what I could tell from the video, at least like five or six of those types of signs. And yeah, you know, some some smaller group of people holding these signs, which are really disturbing and so i don't know it's not like they were out front of i mean not that i'm cool with this either but in front of an abortion clinic or something like a place that is directly related to what they're trying to do they're out in front of a pizza shop and and so like by carrying those signs that's i i think that's like an assault on women and and non-binary folks everywhere just essentially you know reminding people of possibly one of the worst decisions they've ever had to make or something that was like incredibly emotionally loaded for them. And their end goal is to take away the bodily autonomy of, of people with uteruses everywhere. And, and so I don't know. I feel like saying that they're protesters, like it doesn't sit well with me because what they're trying to do is cause harm. When restrictions to abortion happen, people die because of that. And so what they're doing is something that's striving to actively cause harm to to women, especially. And I think and I think Jen did a good job of in the video pointing out the hypocrisies like you had mentioned some of the things she said already when she's like, oh, so you're giving out free condoms. Oh, so you're you're like, how many kids have you adopted then? It's like she she points out all the hypocrisies and then she says, like, you're not here to do anything good. You're just here to make people feel shitty. And and then she does go and then after that she does say like you are like you were saying Andy she's like you are just you are going to make people harm themselves because of this you're like you are going to bring harm to people so yeah no you're absolutely right yeah so I don't know I mean I feel like we'll probably revert to using the word protesters but like what these people are doing is aggressively trying to cause harm to women and, and non-binary folks and anyone with the uterus they're trying to restrict the reproductive rights. And I don't know. I, I, I just I, I feel like if we just say, oh, they're they're protesters. It's like someone out front trying to like switch to creamy peanut butter instead of chunky or something. You know, like, I don't know. It just it feels like it's too it's not a weighty enough term to what they're doing. Like I like they're trying to restrict the rights of others. Well, and Andy, I think more more applicably when when people use the word protesters, especially like the vegans that we're about to talk about when they use the word protesters it it makes you empathize like using that language makes you empathize for 
vegan protesters. You know, it's like you're putting it's it's like for many people using those words, it's trying to equate them somehow like saying like oh we're the same thing we're just we just have a differing opinion and maybe i don't agree with your opinion but like we're all protesting something that would you know do you know am i making sense do you know what i mean it's like putting them on the same level yeah and i think that that is a big problem with what we're about to discuss is that putting of certain things on the same level or saying that aggression towards any cause in general is is the same and carries the same weight and should be condemned or applauded the same way, which which I don't think is the case. So so yeah. So I don't know. So that's my my caveat of saying protesters. I I don't really know what else to call them at this point. But do you have any suggestions? Shitbags. <laughs> yeah, we'll go shitbags. So okay. So I don't know, maybe we'll just be saying protesters. But anyway, so this video was posted. Someone posted in support of it. And then this person who is a man uh, made a comment, which was, I've got to say, I think this was super shitty. I can't even recall how many times I've seen vegans complaining and moaning about restaurant owners when they're out protesting, quoting laws and freedom of speech the entire time. These people were outside, not in her restaurant, and had just as much right to be there as the protesters do at Antler. And that is a reference to something we've covered at least a few times on the show, which was another Toronto restaurant that was serving their whole thing was humane meat and all of those things. And protesters decided to stand out front. And we we had our opinions on that as well. But <laughs> And then and there's just sort of like a long thread about this whole thing. So let me just pull a few more quotes from that. This person said, her statements and her arguments were brilliant. She made some fabulous and really thoughtful comments. Quite a few I totally took note of for my own future use should the need ever arise. She's clearly very well versed on the subject, but the delivery was unbelievable and, in my opinion, unwarranted. For sure, there's a time when things escalate to that point, but she exited her car guns blazing. It was purely emotional response due to the subject matter. And another comment went on to say, I'm not defending the anti-abortion protesters in any way. I'm simply commenting on the reaction to them. I loved her points. I don't think I can find anything she said that I wouldn't wholeheartedly agree with. I just don't like how they were delivered. Passion is awesome. I'd like to consider myself an incredibly passionate person about the work I do. I just don't think you need to be an asshole to be passionate. So so these are some of the comments that got this person in hot water. A <laughs> lively debate ensued, I guess you could say. And then maybe that would not have garnered all that much attention. But then this, this person, he decided to make a large post on his, his Facebook page, the one with the 25,000 followers about the fact that people called him on these statements. All right. So, so his post reads as follows. It's kind of long, but I think it's important for us to, to pretty much read the whole thing here. So let's go for it. There was, slash still is, a protest video making the rounds lately involving an individual confronting a group of protesters, one that became a serious hotbed of conversation. I spoke up last week expressing my disappointment with the language and general combative nature of the video and had all but moved on, but oh my god, I started a war that has been dragged on for days, up to and including yesterday. While I have nothing but respect for people who speak up and actively support various causes, I have no time for intentionally starting a hostile confrontation or blatant rudeness and never have. 
doesn't matter to me if you are a man or a woman, gay or straight, black, white, or purple. All that is relevant to me is that you're intentionally inciting hostility, and I have no regrets about sharing that opinion. My position has always been, you don't need to be an ass to be an advocate. And that position does not vary depending on who slash what is being advocated for. I think it's also super important to point out the fact that just because you won't applaud certain behavior doesn't mean you don't support the cause as a whole or the person responsible for said behavior either. It is possible to disagree with a specific situation or circumstance while agreeing with the overall intention and or person behind it. Name omitted has said many things that I don't agree with and vice versa, and that doesn't mean that he isn't my best friend or that I won't be his biggest cheerleader and vice versa again. As a result of my comments, though, it was implied that I was not an ally to women or the LGBTQ community, a narrative that has since been spread on numerous pages and something I find incredibly slanderous, primarily due to the share first, read later nature of the Internet. To imply somebody isn't an ally simply because they don't applaud hostile and aggressive behavior is outrageous. That said, if that's the kind of behavior I need to support to meet the criteria of, quote, being an ally, I'm not interested in being one. I have zero intention of being a participant in that aspect of the community. I'll support the cause in other ways. If that's a problem for these folks, that's fine too. Approval and labels aren't required to do what we do or live the lifestyle we live. Perhaps it's time to completely drop the advocate and vegan labels altogether anyway in favor of something without the countless misconceptions and stereotypes. Saving animals and making the world a much better slash kinder place for all of us is what matters to me. Arguing about how to do it with people that claim to want the same thing is way lower on my priority list. I'll continue to speak up the way we do, and I won't be losing sleep over the fact that some people aren't happy about that. I believe with every fiber of my being that kindness is magic and nothing else has the same potential to change the world. That's something I'll never apologize for, no matter who disagrees with me. Okay. Sorry for all that reading. (laughs) I should have had you do it, Paul. I know people love that reading voice of yours. <laughs> so there's so many different places to to start with this. Uh, I think, all right, Paul, so what stands out to you about this statement the most right away? Well, the first thing that you read, Andy, was uh, like a part of someone else's profile that was like in response to the video that we were talking about before but then this this post that he uh, he made is on his own profile and he doesn't really provide a lot of context around it he says or any context (laughs) yeah well i mean he says like there is a protest video making the rounds lately but it's very biased against the video, like the way that he's he's talking about the video. It just makes it seem like for someone that has no idea what's going on, he's making it seem like it was a like bad, like this person is bad in this that that was in this video, and but and so like by not providing context, he's kind of off the bat biasing anyone that hasn't seen this and is already a follower of him. So, you know, they're much more likely to, to be on his side anyways. It's like, they're automatically just going to be on his side. And in in addition to that, Andy, I just feel like there's so many, like there's so many hypocritical comments that are made in this, like approval and labels aren't required to do what we do, but he's framing this so that people give him approval for the thing that he did. It like, even by the fact that they just won't even know what they're talking about though. The, and, and trust me, Andy, well, I, you trust me because you've seen this too. So I guess, trust me, listener, like he did get approval for this. He got tons of approval 
from people that had no idea that this was even a thing, what was going on. Yeah, as of the time of us recording this, there's a little over 1,200 comments on this post. And from I did not read every single one, but from the scrolling that I did, the vast, vast, vast majority of them are people giving him applause for the things that he's said. And, I mean, saying things essentially like, to talk about the context, people saying, I'm not sure what's going on here, but I support you 100%. As far as I'm concerned, you can do no wrong. You are such an important person in this movement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess, I guess all of that is to say, Paul, that yes, like that is definitely kind of the thing that really stuck out to me was that this post is so vague that it makes it so people have no context to judge what he's saying off of. And, like, the only response that you would ever see from someone that doesn't know the context would be, like, yeah, like, kindness is good. That's why you see so much support for things are, like, love is the answer and love is the way and love conquers hate. All these things. They're, like, these vague platitudes that sound really nice and sound like like there's some deep ancient wisdom. But, in fact, I, I would <laughs> argue that, like, yes, I agree. Like, you and I are obviously huge advocates for empathetic nonviolent communication. But I think that they're just so vague and meaningless a lot of the time that it's important to understand the nuances of various situations. And and that's something that's not being discussed here, nor are any of his followers given a chance to make those assessments for themselves. He's essentially just saying, praise me for how, how rational and logical I am and how irrational. I mean, like that, that statement that, that quote that I read from one of the original posts that was, it was a purely emotional response due to the subject matter. And I was like, Oh, come on. Like basically being like, I am, I am logic and rationality and emotion bad. And I don't know. It's just, it's and just... and it's kind of saying, I mean, it's also kind of saying like, because I feel like it's implying like, because she's a woman, of course she's going to be emotional. Of course she's going to be too emotional about this to be rational. Yeah, and the fact that it was like it was purely emotional response due to the subject matter, and it's like, is this not a fucking emotional thing? Why do, why do we feel like we have to strip emotion from everything in order for it to be valid? Well, we'll talk about that later, Andy, in terms of <laughs> veganism. <laughs> okay, okay. But, I mean, like, this is a very, <laughs> I think, like, abortion and reproductive rights is a very emotional issue. But yeah, I don't know, just this idea that it shouldn't be an emotional thing or that like we downplay emotion, which is typically considered to be more of a, I guess, feminine characteristic. I don't know. It just it just definitely rubs me the wrong way. And I, I guess this is a good time to actually start talking about the tone policing thing that we're trying to have this whole discussion on. And so basically what this whole thing is is essentially someone in the comments said this is the longest version of i support women but that they've ever seen before <laughs> when you it's like you hear that and you know some some bullshit's about to come come down the line there and so essentially what this boils down to and what later responses that this person provided for people was i support the cause but i disagree with how you are advocating for yourself like essentially mm -hmm. the, and that's kind of that's boils down to what tone policing is which is saying i'm going to tell you how to deliver a specific message that affects you but doesn't affect me 
uh, the term that I see getting thrown around a lot is skin in the game. You know, like this person does not have skin in the game, whereas, you know, like Jen certainly does. And uh, it's just I, we we need to talk about why it's not appropriate and like why situationally it's not okay in this instance because a lot of people pointed out they said hey person hey man like you are not someone that's directly affected by this issue you are not a part of the marginalized group that it will literally start to die because of what these these anti-choice activists are trying to accomplish you are not the person that's being traumatized by their signs and therefore it's not your place to cast any judgment on those that are directly affected by this issue in how that they advocate. Basically, it's like not your place to say those things. And so then the response from this person, of course, is what, like, just because I'm a man, I can't have an opinion. I wouldn't say you can have an opinion on this thing because you're a woman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I want to, like, break these things down. And I think that, like, again, like I said, this is sort of us doing our best to sort of call in our fellow men on this particular issue because I I noticed that a lot of comments from people that were dissenting from women were getting deleted (laughs) and my dissenting comment has not been deleted and a lot of dissenting men's comments have not been deleted so I think like this is the work like if there's any work of allies in the movement to do it's to call in our own when we see things like this happening so that's like the whole reason why we're having this podcast I think it's also I think another important thing to talk about because one of the the responses that I saw from this person a few times was basically saying, well, like, it, well, just because I'm a gay man, does that mean that like I could call I could say by your logic, I could say that you're being homophobic then because you're saying these things to me. And it's like a common it's a common deflection that you'll see with these sorts of arguments where it's almost like. When someone is being criticized against certain actions that they're making or certain specific things that they're saying or certain things that they're doing, the deflection to saying like, oh, no, that thing wasn't racist or that thing wasn't sexist. And by you criticizing me, like you're being this, like whatever, whatever that person's identity is, like you're being anti. I mean, a lot of people just say like, well, I'm not going to call you anti or I'm not going to call you anti white or something like that. That's where you mostly see it, which is shitty anyways. But like, um, I feel like that's another important point to bring up too. Yeah. So let's expand upon that. Let's sort of go through point by point with some of the things that are said in this statement. And so let's, let's start at the beginning here. The first is, well, I have nothing but respect for people who speak up and actively support various causes. I have no time for intentionally starting a hostile confrontation or blatant rudeness and never have. So this this phrase, various causes, I don't know. It, it, to me, that, that seemed really off because it's like, well, so you're going to lump in anti-choice activism with with like someone advocating for their reproductive rights or veganism or anti-racist work or something like that, like various causes, like, like basically all of these sentiments that are being expressed are sort of hammering everything down. Like any activism is equal. Any cause is equal. 
and it doesn't matter what the cause is. What matters is how someone conveys their message. And and I feel like with these sorts of situations, it's always seen as if the person in this case, like the, the, the Jen, it's always seemed like it always seems like that side is deemed as like, oh, you're bringing the hostility because it's not acknowledged the Im- the implicit ho- the implicit hostility that's in what the other people are literally doing. And I feel like the the, the easiest example of that is when is when someone yells at like a, a, a like a neo Nazi or something like that, and they say like, oh, well, you shouldn't be doing this, but it's like that person the not the nazi or the kkk member or even like not even as something as extreme as that but those are the easy ones to talk about like their identity is is hostility towards that other person it's like it's not like that person is it's not like the person of color let's say in that situation is bringing the hostility it's like that other that that neo-nazi that kkk member their identity is hostility towards towards them so to to say like oh you shouldn't be yelling at this person or you shouldn't be doing this thing i feel like it's not acknowledging that that the other person is the person that is that is really like doing the thing doing the bad thing yeah it's like to see people that are being openly hostile to to women with these signs and then to for the thing that you feel like you need to speak up on, the thing that your opinion is so important about is how someone responds to those things that are very hostile to that person. It seems really, really misguided. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in this specific example, it's like, yes, those protesters might not be like yelling loudly or something like that, but they are being hostile with these images that they're showing. They're being hostile with the message that they're bringing and as Jen said in, in one of the interviews that I read, I think she's like, people are going to see this that have been through this a, a terribly traumatic experience before related to this. And it's going to deeply affect those people. It's like just by standing there and holding those signs, they are implicitly bringing hostility into this situation into this situation that was not hostile before then. So to say that Jen is the one being hostile, I feel like is is untrue yeah definitely to to sort of circle back to your the nazi analogy just reminds me of everything that happened you know in the i guess the last year all these incidents of the antifa confronting these nazi rallies and people see a nazi rally so we have nazis who are literally advocating for the genocide of so many different groups of people and then you have the people that are there to be like no, that's actually not cool. And people just happen to see that they're both clashing physically. And then all of a sudden, the Antifa are the fascists. Like, by confronting fascism, that makes you the fascist. And I don't know. It's just the the whole thing. It, I feel like we just need to kill this idea that that all of these things are equal. You know, like, I think it's a really easy position to take to say all violence is bad. I I am not I am a nonviolent person. I I don't advocate for violence. I think that that's like an easy position to take and I mean there are some people that like truly practice that and if that's their thing, sure. But for me it almost feels like it's like I don't want to say like a cowardly position to take, but it's like certainly not a nuanced position to take. Because I think that there are instances in which all of us would approve of certain, like, violent or hostile 
sort of reactions to things like like to say that the the violence that is used to oppress a marginalized group is exactly the same as the violence that is used by that marginalized group to resist that oppression is the same thing and that you have to judge them equally or that that makes them just as bad as the group that's trying to oppress them. It's bullshit. It's not true at all. And I feel like, like you can take a statement like this I and mean, like this whole thing, this whole statement comes from a place of extreme privilege and basically to like make this call for civility and, and to say that like by, by acting, by reacting this way in a, a quote unquote emotional way, uh, a hostile way, whatever it is that all of a sudden that makes you in the wrong it's just coming from such a place of privilege that ignores all the nuances of these situations. And I think, honestly, really is only there to garner applause from other folks who benefit from that same sort of privilege. Yeah, yeah. It's certain, like you were saying, Andy, it's like if someone takes a nonviolent stance, like flat, like period, that's like, that's my thing. Like, I don't think that that is implicitly a bad thing stance to take but i think it should be acknowledged that it's certainly an easier stance to take if no violence is ever being directed towards you you know and and also i i feel like it's kind of in terms of what you were saying when we when you were mentioning how like uh people put the the violence of the oppressor on the same level as the as violence in reaction to that from the oppressed. And I feel like that's even more messed up when, when we think about how like in our society through, through movies and literature and media, like we romanticize the underdog fighting back against people like David and Goliath. That story is literally about the underdog, like killing this giant dude. And like, like Star Wars, yeah, it's like we love those stories, but then when they happen in real life, we're like, "Oh no, 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 no! You shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing this thing that we've been grown up to see as this like romantic story." Yeah, and 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 so I I will read another quote from this person in relation to this, which which this person provided a few clarifications, I guess you would call them responses, whatever to not like he came in and was like, I'm not gonna respond to every single person. Although he was responding to some people, but basically like, here's my overall thoughts on the the comments I have read. And he said, I really don't care who is protesting. What if they do it in a way that intentionally incites a hostile confrontation, I have no time for it. Never will, no matter who it is that feels that they have the right to speak to other people that way. And I just read that sentence. I really don't care who is protesting. What, I don't care who is protesting. I care who is protesting what, Paul? Like, I, like <laughs> if someone wants to be like, these protesters did the, like bombed something or whatever, like, I want to know in the name of what were they doing that for? Because that context certainly matters, and that, that affects how I judge these things. And it just, I, I don't know. I just don't know how someone can combat these things down into a set of rules. Because, you know, like as a general rule, Paul, I would say empathy is important and it's too important to be empathetic and nonviolent in your communication. But there's a, there's exceptions to that rule. I think there are certainly times when you don't need to employ those things. And I don't know. It's just, 
it baffles my mind that people feel like they can take this really simplistic look at the universe and at activism and social change and and then get all this applause from people because love is love and kindness is magic sounds like a really nice thing, but it's not applicable in every situation. And again, it's important to keep in mind that there this person did not provide any context for what what happened. So again, when he says if they do it in a way that intentionally incites a hostile confrontation, it's painting Jen in a bad light when again, like I was saying before, like those people being there is inciting the hostile confrontation. The anti-abortion people like they are inciting the hostile uh, environment just by the nature of what they're doing. So I feel like it's, it's again, it's like twisting. It's twisting it. So all of that is to say that the context of these things matters. Who is saying what matters? And, and what this comes down to is these, these responses that are like, well, because I'm a man, I can't have an opinion on this. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this, that yes, that is the case. I think that if this is not something that directly affects you, you can you can have your opinion, you can think whatever you want about it, but if you are truly an ally, your job is to either express support or shut up. But Andy, he doesn't care about being an ally. <laughs> apparently not. Apparently not. So yeah, let's go let's go to that quote. To imply somebody isn't an ally simply because they don't applaud hostile and aggressive behavior is outrageous. That said, if that's the kind of behavior I need to support to meet their criteria of, quote, being an ally, I'm not interested in being one. And this is something that you see. This is something that you see with people. Like, I will say yes, no. If you if your support of a cause is contingent upon how the people in that marginalized group conduct themselves, then you're not actually an ally of that group. I would take that stance. It's it's this it's this thing where you're saying like, yeah, I'll support I'll support you as long as my as long as the way that I want to support you is the way that you want me to support you, you know? It's like not it's not actually taking anything. It's not it's not listening to the person that you're trying to say I support you. It's just saying like, I'm going to do this thing and and it's going to help you and that's that and not actually like listening or reflecting if that person is saying no this is not how i want you to help me you know like i feel like it's 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 very self-centered like saying i'm i can't meet their criteria like that's such a that's such a i feel like <laughs> like twisted in another way that's basically saying i'm unwilling to to change anything that i'm doing you know yeah, I mean, if you think about what being an ally is, it's it's sort of saying, like, yes, I support your right to exist and have rights and your bodily autonomy and whatever it might be. And so this post, it, it feels really disgusting to me because it's essentially saying, like, essentially sort of dangling this allyship in front of her and saying, like, you're going to lose one more person that believes you have a right to exist and advocate for yourself if you don't do something that makes me comfortable. Uh, you know, it's it's like a really gross thing to do. I, I think that, like, yeah. you know, as allies, this is something that we struggle with. We're not perfect by by any, any, any stretch of the imagination. This is something that we're always trying to navigate but there might be times when you're really uncomfortable with the tactics of a certain movement that you're trying to be an ally for. 
And it's important to sort of sit with those things and reflect on those things and ask yourself, why would certain people in this movement want to use these tactics? But it's if it's not something that personally affects you, it's just not really your place to have some big public criticism of these things. And then once you get called on your criticism of these things by the very people who do have the skin in the game to then go and make a post that's all about you, that's all about turning yourself into the victim and a way to get accolades and applause and and likes and hearts for yourself. Yeah. And, and if I may, Andy, I feel like I want to bring in, and I'm going to be, be careful how I frame this because I think it's, it's nuanced. Well, this is all nuanced, but and I'm not sometimes the most nuanced person, although I try to be, but like his deflection of saying, well, I'm just going to say then if you criticize me, then you're being homophobic or something like that. And I feel like it's important to point out why that's why the two things are not the same, because people are trying to point out why what he's doing and the things that he's saying, why they are destructive to the cause that these women are trying to to push forward, why th- why the things that he's doing and saying are promoting the like the 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 harm harm to these women basically, and and that's different than like them saying something against him because of his identity. Do you know, does that does that kind of make sense? Like they're not they're not like attacking his identity as a gay man, but he, but by him saying like, Oh, well, these two things are on the same level. It kind of strips away any nuance of taking criticism and and being able to be critical of people, you know? Well, I think it just sort of demonstrates his lack of understanding of the critique that people are offering him because People aren't saying that because you're a man, anytime you disagree with a woman that you are a misogynist or a sexist or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, like the, the he he's making a false equivalency. If he wanted to come up with an equivalent situation, it would be if he was advocating for LGBTQ plus rights in some way and straight people came in and were saying you're not advocating for this in the right way that would be the equivalent situation like it's not just this magic gotcha card where anytime you disagree with a gay man that makes you homophobic you know he he's taking people saying hey the your lived experience is different than that of the women and non-binary folks that deal with this situation and therefore you should defer to us who actually live this reality. He's taking that as basically saying like, because I'm a man, I can't have an opinion. And I feel like that's such a a self-centered approach to take to this. It's such like a selfish approach to say that's saying like, Oh, you're criticizing me. It couldn't be because I need to reconsider the things that I'm saying or doing. It's just because you don't like, me like you're 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 saying i'm an asshole and that's like you're insulting me you know instead of instead of like understanding where it's all coming from it just reminds me of that picture of the it's some meme it's the picture of the bird and the quote is just like 
I get uncomfortable when things aren't about me kind of thing. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> seen that before. But, yeah, it's, it's, so. just, it's, it's really not taking into account the needs and desires and, and wants of the people that have the skin in the game. It's just it's all about me. It's this idea that I know the best way for you to advocate for your liberation and your rights. And, and if you get emotional and upset and angry about this thing – that I have never had to feel those exact emotions about that you're doing it wrong and, and you're irrational and I'm logical and it's just, it's really gross. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. Uh, So let's back it up a little bit. There's this quote, which says it doesn't matter to me if you're a man or a woman, gay or straight, black, white, or purple. All that is relevant to me is that you're intentionally inciting hostility and have no regrets about sharing that opinion. Again, this is sort of going towards his tendency to, to flatten everything and ignore the nuances and lived experiences of a lot of people. But I just, I just wanted to point out that like basically this, this attitude, you see it all the time. It seems really great and altruistic on the surface. I treat everybody the same. I don't treat people poorly based on their skin color or their gender or whatever it might be. But like actually what this is, especially like whenever says someone when someone says like purple people or blue people, it's just sort of it's kind of this automatic in that they probably have not thought very critically about this whole thing. And and what it is is something that's called colorblind racism. And and it's this thing you see, like, I don't care what color you are. And when people say that, again, it seems like it's a good thing on the surface. But what it is, is it sort of creates this default for whiteness it sort of is like i see you as me i i am just seeing you as a white person and it really ignores the differences that make everybody unique it ignores the lived experiences that other people have and the reality that other people have like we don't need to pretend like we're not different we need to celebrate those differences and just by saying like uh, i don't i don't see color it's just like it's a really insulting thing to say well i just see everybody as the same because we're not all the same and a lot of people because of that are treated very differently especially on a systemic level yeah i feel like it, when it comes up a lot of times it's a person of color saying i am experiencing racism and then the the white person's response would just be like oh well i don't see color and it's basically just a way of saying like oh well I'm I I don't have anything to do with this so I am not going to do anything about it type of thing. It's like removing yourself from the need to make any sort of changes about like you said Andy the systemic level of what's going on. Yeah, it's absolving yourself of that. And I don't know, it's ridiculous because even the most like strident white anti-racist activist could still do something that's racist, you know, unintentionally or whatever it might be out of ignorance. And I think it's dangerous for any of us to ever get to a point when we're like, well, I don't I don't see race or I'm an ally and I have no more work to do. I've done the thinking on this particular tactic and like this this feeling of doneness of of we've reached our final form and this is who we are and we don't have any more reflecting to do. And I, I feel like that attitude is sort of throughout a lot of the the, the statements that this person has made. Agreed. So this next quote that I did want to ask you about, Paul, is when he says, saving animals and making the world a much better or kinder place for all of us is what matters to me. Arguing about how to do it with people that claim to want the same thing is way lower on my priority list. 
isn't that exactly what he did by by making a statement about how effective Jen's tactics were? Yeah, no, definitely. And and I feel like Andy this this also goes back to the conversation about Wayne Pacelli and just how it's like this is he's he's appealing to the crowd of people who who are going to be like oh as long as he's doing something for animals it doesn't matter if he's negatively impacting other groups of people and that's just such a like a it's it's such a dangerous attitude to have and and I was I was more so saddened by the 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 comments in support that he was getting more so than just like this one individual person who's saying shitty things but just like the 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 amount of support and like you mentioned before i mentioned i don't know who mentioned it the amount of people that are supporting him and saying things like oh i don't know what's going on but you're great so whatever you're doing whatever happened you must be in the right it's like the 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 support without even knowing what's going on is is just it's scary to me like it it's like come on people just th- think have like think for yourself for once that like just because someone you admire which is fine it's fine that you admire someone like this but just because they say oh there was this situation that happened and i was right about it like without providing any other context just being like yeah yeah you're right i or he must be right i feel like it's this dangerous I'm I'm sure it happens in in other movements as well, but like I we only talk about it in terms of the vegan movement, so that's like the examples that I know about. But it happens so much, and we see it so much. People just supporting someone no matter what, and I feel like it's such a dangerous attitude to have, and it really prom- it promotes the idea that we don't need to reflect upon the things that we say, or we don't need to reflect and change about what we do and who we are, and like we should always be thinking about how we can do better and how we can be better and it's just scary like reading all those comments was it was just scary yeah i think be wary of any single person that ever feels like they've they've reached that final form as i said that was you know <laughs> as as kind of an aside in that that panel that i did in denver someone was asking Ginny, the, the vegan rd like how can I determine if the advice I'm giving it, getting from one of these like Esselstyns or Gregors or whatever is like valid? And her response was like, I'm not entirely sure. It's really hard to tell, but be wary of anyone that, that thinks that they know every single answer. And I thought that that was just such great advice overall. And like one of the comments from this guy, when people sort of, called him on this and saying like you have some reflecting to do and and some some like listening and all that stuff his response was i spend all day every day being an advocate it's been my job for a number of years now my thoughts and position on the above discussion points are crystal clear to me and very unlikely to change there's no need for me to reflect on the effectiveness of confrontation as a form of communication or education that sucks right like that's not the attitude I would want anyone that I look up to to ever have. I, I think that like the ability to self-reflect and grow and admit when you're wrong is one of the most important abilities that we have. You should have that ability. And I understand that if we feel like we're being attacked, that maybe we don't feel like we want to change that instance or that that person won, but like lick your wounds and then go sit by yourself and reflect on these things. But to ever say there's no need for me to reflect on this thing 
I feel like it's just really ignorant. And try to understand why someone came at you with that emotion, you know? Like, why would someone be this emotional about this thing? Like, there must be a reason why they are that emotional. Try to understand it. Yeah. So the last instead of dismissing it solely because of the emotion. Yes, exactly. It's it's just it's not a good thing to do. So the last little quote that I do want to pull out is just this final one which said, I believe with every fiber of my being that kindness is magic and that nothing else has the same potential to change the world. So someone in the comments pulled that quote and then they just said that basically the entire history of social change disagrees with him in that regard. Hmm. Which you know, yes, uh, the history of social change is full of actual confrontation of emotion and anger and, and physical confrontation. And his response was to point out Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi as basically being these sort of paragons of nonviolence and that sort of proved his point. I feel like that just sort of shows a real lack of understanding of the viewpoints of both of those individuals. But the one thing that I really want to just sort of pull out, if he is going to cite Martin Luther King Jr., uh, I felt that we could read this this little passage from Letter from Birmingham Jail, which, which uh, Martin Luther King wrote in 1963. I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action. Who paternalistically believes that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom. Who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. So obviously Martin Luther King Jr. is not talking about reproductive rights there necessarily, but I feel like like even even MLK would disagree with this guy that you can't be someone that's on the sidelines that doesn't have skin in the game and just sit there and say, well, I agree with your end goal, but I don't agree with how you fight for this thing. Yeah, I feel like the line... Who is more, someone who is more devoted to order than to justice? That is like exactly what this person is is doing. Yeah. So this person, th- this guy, did offer a response later down, which I'm I'm going to read, and then we'll talk about some of the bigger themes here. I know we've already been going for a while, but there's so much to dig into, Paul. <laughs> some of the comments in this feed are a brilliant example of exactly what I'm describing in my post. I love the fact that some people think it's okay to tell me what an asshole I am for having an opinion. They're doing exactly what I did by speaking up when I saw behavior I disagreed with, something they apparently have a huge problem with. It's hilarious. The vile hatred and hypocritical outrage over a difference of opinion is incredible. I was slash am entitled to share my opinion, as you are to come here and share yours. I won't label you a homophobe because you disagreed with a gay man, though, or spend the next few days dragging your names through the mud because you voiced an opinion I don't agree with either, the way people have done and are continuing to do in this very feed to mine. Thanks again for helping me to prove the very point I was making. I appreciate you taking the time to share your opinions with me. What do you think about that, Paul? 
I think again, this is another example of like he's he's failing to to see the bigger picture of this and how it's not about him. You know, it's like, oh, peop- this is just people dragging my name through the dirt. It's people calling me an asshole. It's all, it's all it's all about how this has affected him, and it's all about people's response to him. And he won't see he won't see it instead as like this is about how this is about his response to to Jen originally. You know, it's like it's like he's taking the situation about sexism and women's reproductive rights and feminism and stuff like that and instead he's making he's taking that conversation and making it about him yeah and i think it also is just sort of a continuation of this flattening of any and all activism and any and all opinions and basically like he he thinks that people are saying that him criticizing what jen did equals these people saying he can never have an opinion ever and you should never criticize someone's actions ever. And therefore all of a sudden, because people are bringing that up to him, that makes them hypocrites because they're critiquing his action. And it's just this, this bizarre flattening of all types of activism and all types of discussion and not really just thinking about the nuances of the situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, Paul. So I feel like I feel like we've we've made our point clear there that 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 context matters, that nuance matters, that yes, there might be certain situations as painful as that is for us men, right, where our opinion is not needed or or necessary, even though we've sort of been societally conditioned that we must weigh in on everything and that our opinion has more weight than anyone else's. That like yes, there are situations in which who we are and the lived experiences that we have as human beings make it that our opinion is is not relevant to a situation and that like our job as allies is to support the people who do have that lived experience Mm -hmm. so i think from there i bet a lot of people listening might say okay so you had this whole conversation about why it's like not our place to critique this angry emotional whatever you want to call it activism that was happening but isn't that exactly what like half of your episodes are devoted to is to sort of (laughs) assessing and critiquing vegan activism. And haven't we come down kind of hard on a lot of people that do things that just sort of appeal to anger within activists. And what is, what's the difference between those things? Like, are we huge hypocrites for sort of taking the stance on this particular issue, but not on vegan issues? Well, Andy, I feel like the big difference is that in veganism, we are not the people that are directly affected and impacted by non-vegans. And, and, and we've said it before, but it's like it's an it's a movement that's entirely made up of allies. And and because of that, like as an ally, which I, I think I can speak very vaguely so that it applies to like all allyship is like as an ally, we want to do what's best for the the either human or non-human animals that we are fighting for and and we owe it to them to do the best that we can do and because of that like that's not always going to be like obviously many people are incredibly passionate and emotional about vegan issues but that's not always going to be the thing that that is going to be the most to, to be super duper angry about something is not necessarily going to be the thing that's 
going to change that person's mind that you're having a conversation with. But again, because we are not the person that's being affected by this, like we owe it to the animals then to be the most effective that we can be. Is that if that if that makes sense? Yeah, definitely. I think that that's something that a lot of people miss. Like people think that veganism is about us. The you know we're the vegans. We have the labels. We wear the shirts. We go to the food festivals. We make the Facebook posts. It's about us, and often we kind of lose sight of the fact that like no, we're actually here on behalf of these animals. And so in in almost any other movement, I guess maybe not like the environmental justice movement. In any other movement, the the people that are directly affected, the ones that have that skin in the game. They can speak up and say, this is how we want to be advocated for all you allies. And they can speak up and say, hey, that wasn't good. You're not acting in accordance to our best interest. But as allies to animals, we're sort of making our best guess as to what will be the most effective thing. Like, what would these animals want? You know, like we recently did that bonus review of Called to Rescue where it was sort of pointed out that, like, yes, the humans build the the sanctuaries and get the people to come, but truly it's it's the animals that save themselves. Like, they're advocating for themselves just by being themselves while they're there. So that's, like, one of those instances where the animals are sort of at, at the forefront. But, like, for the most part, we're in a situation where the people we're advocating for can't speak up. They, or they they can't they can't have the conversation that we're currently having and, and go, well, I like this and I didn't like this and I think you could be a little less angry here. I don't like that you used it instead of they or, you know, whatever it is. So so I think that there is room for people to actually have these discussions because we are only a movement made up of allies. And I think, yeah, that's definitely the key difference. In a similar way that, you know, it's like in in the movement for reproductive rights i'm sure there are discussions within that movement within those people that are directly affected like these same conversations that we're having andy like i'm sure that that happens as well but if you are not someone that is the person if you don't have if andy if you don't have the skin in the game (laughs) then then don't be trying to make those decisions for those people yeah yeah it's it's very condescending when you try to tell someone, I know how you can win your freedom better than you do. Yeah. And especially yeah. in those instances where it's like, as an ally, I know better than you. And if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to stop being an ally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real jerk. Real jerk move. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I think that this this conversation then relates back to one of the first things that he said, which was like about the protest outside of Antler and how and, and now after we've had this discussion, Andy, it's kind of like, yes, that was not a good comparison that that he made. Like, that's not it's not the same thing. Like we, like you said, or I think that you might have said it before, Andy, like we, we ourselves were very, we had some things to say about that protest. We were critical of it, but I do believe that that's, that's different than what he's, he was trying to do. I feel like we're going to wrap it up here. I'm sure there's so much more to be said about this, but we know we're in that two hour mark. So we're going to, we're going to wrap it up now. We would love to hear what all of our amazing listeners have to think about this. Uh, you can send us an email to the bearded vegans at gmail.com. 
and yeah, let us know what we missed, what we didn't cover. We'll we'll try our best to keep people informed on any developments in this. I don't know how much more tolerance I have for reading <laughs> reading through the comments <laughs> on that original post, but I'm sure there's so much more to be said. I imagine this conversation will continue into next week's episode or, or down the line somewhere. I think so too. And and again, like email in, message in your thoughts. We would definitely definitely want to hear from you. So between now and then, Andy, though, where can the people see you in person? Well, as I said at the top of the show, August 18th and 19th, I'll be at the Triangle VegFest in Durham, North Carolina, speaking on the 18th at 10 a.m. with JL Fields. August 26th, I'll be at the Vegan Pop-Up in Asbury Park, New Jersey. September 15th, I'll be at DC VegFest in Washington, D.C. September 29th and 30th, I'll be at the Vegandale Food and Drink Fest in New York, New York. So... Come on out. You can find me behind the Compassion Company table. Look for that bright green tablecloth. You know, got some uh, some unicorns and some (laughs) some gorillas (laughs) on those shirts. (laughs) Come say what's up, Beardo. We'll hook you up with a button and or sticker. Give you a shout out on the podcast. It'll be a fun time. All right. That's what I like to hear. (laughs) Paul. Andy. It's been a long recording session and I'm really sweaty right now. In my 80-degree van, my 81-degree van. Mm-hmm. But we've had all these discussions about tone policing. And I know that there are seven words when I hear you say them. I will never police the tone in which you say the following seven words. <laughs> we are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. follow up from the the crossover episode that we did with vegan warrior princesses attack talling all about talling that's not the not the impression that i got so you good you good <laughs> sorry there's this what siren are you, what are you smiling about because <laughs> there's this siren that seems like it, you know how sirens are like but it seemed like it was just like stuck at the top so it was just like and it was just this really high-pitched like straight noise for like a is minute it, and then it finally went down is it just owen wilson <laughs> wow all right wow 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 the jury awarded 23.5 million dollars in compensate and oh god compensatory Compen- <laughs> compensatory what a weird word we have a bunch of new patreon des- des- owners, <laughs> dessert owners dessert owners <laughs> pretty miserable and paul i see you sitting in your apartment but i know you've had to turn off your ac i'm getting there i'm getting there getting hot and sweaty yeah that's all right Uh, (laughs) (laughs) recording with paul is my favorite thing recording with paul is my favorite thing perhaps the worst decisions 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 Those the anti-importion the importion going towards his tens of uh, can't talk. And how does this? What does this discussion have implicate? It's not not eloquent at all. It's so hot. (laughs) Whatever it is that they're advocating for, and I I feel like to nah whatever fuck it scrap that whole point. This is gonna be a fun one to edit. Sorry, Paul. Yeah.